Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm, as always, glad that you've decided to join us for another week of gardening fun, inspiration, ideas, how-tos, you name it. I like to talk about it. As long as it's gardening, we'll have a good time. Oh, let's see. Let's start off with a weather update, I guess. Not an update, just my uh, commentary. You know, sometimes when we have showers and storms, it puts us in a damper. But I guess it goes back to that old gardening adage. Adage? Is that the right word? That old gardening saying, April showers bring May flowers. So if we can at least embrace the fact, if we can embrace the fact that plants are going to be getting just what they need to grow. Whether you've planted seeds, which of course have to maintain a certain amount of moisture in order to germinate. Maybe you've already put out some plants, whether it's trees, shrubs, perennials, annuals, vegetables. They're getting what they need this weekend, this Easter weekend. So those April showers, as gloomy as they may be, especially when it puts a damper on our egg hunting. (laughs) Just rest assured knowing that your plants are getting what they need to get started, to get on the right foot, if you will. And then, of course, when brighter days come in May, hopefully, we'll have beautiful flowers. So there's always that patience and anticipation in gardening. And days like today, this weekend, (laughs) definitely brings about that patience. So, today, I'd like to talk about a topic that really I don't think we've talked about. I might have mentioned it in passing, but I know that we've never dedicated a a show to it, and that is foodscaping. Foodscaping. Maybe you've heard the term. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe, and even hopefully, you're doing it in your landscape. But if you haven't heard the term foodscaping, let's just have a brief introduction. There's a lot of philosophy, a lot of writing. There's a lot of books you can find, information on the internet, probably blogs, etc. But I'm going to give you my interpretation of it. And uh, some some easy how-to to to get started with foodscaping, some things you can do with the plants you already have and already are growing. Uh, But my opinion is today, right? My... uh, my perspective on foodscaping will be today. So foodscaping is that merging of beauty with function or nutrition. So of course, in horticulture and gardening, we grow two main types of plants. Either plants that feed the body, vegetables, fruits, collard greens, (laughs) whatever. Those things are going to feed our body. We're going to be able to put in the time put in the nutrition to the plant 
so that then it produces something for us that gives us nutrition. And then, of course, the other types of plants that we grow are going to feed our souls, right? So these plants don't necessarily aren't consumed by us, but rather our eyes consume them, maybe even touching them with our fingers. It brings about a a great uh, satisfaction through our souls. You know, the beauty of plants, whether it's the colorful flowers, uh, whether it's the texture of foliage, or the way that two, three, four different flowers and plants work together to create a wonderful space. So foodscaping tries to bring those vegetables that used to be, you know, grown in the backyard, the back garden, they've been put on the side, they're never up front. They're never in the front beds with your roses. Well, foodscaping is this philosophy or idea where we are merging our vegetable gardens, our orchards, our fruit trees with the things we're doing in our ornamental beds. And so today, um, I'm going to talk about uh, three main things. We're going to talk about vegetables and, we're, and fruits and then containers, using containers with uh, vegetables and fruits and flowers all together. And within those uh, three main groups, we're going to talk about the aesthetic qualities, the beautiful qualities, the characteristics of plants that have only been restricted to the vegetable garden, and the things that they can show off that are very ornamental, and not just pleasing to our tongue when we eat them, but also pleasing to our soul when we just look at them. And so I hope that I can give you enough ideas to get started with foodscaping today. Um, I guess I should start off by giving two main reasons why we would even think about foodscaping. But before we get into that, I do want to remind you that if you have missed one of our shows, and I was looking back, we're in our fourth year here with New Southern Garden on WRWH 93.9 FM in Cleveland, Georgia. And four years is a long time, I feel like. I've been, it's really an honor every week. Uh, it's a privilege. It's still fun, exciting, even after all this time to come to you and, and for you to allow uh, me to infiltrate a week, uh, an hour of a week of your life to talk about gardening. And I know sometimes when you do things over and over and over, we get bored, we get tired. Well, I've never felt that way. It's really been uh really been an honor to uh, be a part of this station and, of course, the, uh, this program. And so as we go on week after week, I hope that I'm still uh, as exciting to you as maybe we were those first couple of years. But if you've missed any of those four years of uh, New Southern Garden here on WRWH, feel free to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com because last week we talked about uh, peonies. We talked about those beautiful blooming, talking about feeding the soul. Peonies are flowers that bloom heavily and largely. Those blossoms can be six inches in diameter, maybe more, on a very healthy and mature plant. And, you know, there was one comment that came through to our community here at New Southern Garden. We, we, the comment was, you know, you didn't really talk about how to grow them. I did mention some things on how to plant them, but you didn't really mention how to grow them, and I sort of did that specifically. I just wanted to address the comment because we've talked about peonies before. We've talked about more specifics on how to grow them in the past, and so last week's episode was all about introducing you to 19 
great varieties to grow in our southern gardens. So I was really focusing on the color of individual flowers, the bloom shape and style. And so uh, for those of you who wanted to hear more about how to grow them, when to fertilize, when to trim, if I didn't mention that last week, definitely check us out at NewSouthernGarden.com and of course on Facebook and Instagram. So back to foodscaping. There are two main reasons why we would try to merge the beautiful things in our gardens with the nutritious things in our gardens, like vegetables and fruits. And I see it in two different directions. Number one is economics. It's the economics of the thing. So, uh, you know, we don't get into politics on this show. There's other programs for that. But think about the world today. There's a lot of rumors, as there always are rumors. There's rumors of food shortages and Uh, This is not really a rumor, but prices on food has gone up just for me and my wife and, of course, our two children, which the youngest, he doesn't really eat food yet. He's still drinking milk. But for the three of us, we've seen the grocery bill increase dramatically over the past several weeks and months. And so, you know, we can't really maybe predict it. I can't. That's for sure. But if with all the things going in the world today, If food is uh, becoming a burden to purchase, well, then growing your own may help to alleviate it. Now, I've never really been convinced, maybe until more recently as things are transpiring, but I've never really been convinced that it's, it's always cheaper to grow food than to buy it. I mean, you know, think about some of the things in the grocery store that you can pick up for pretty cheap when you total the amount of time it takes to grow a garden, right? And of course, the things that you have to input, uh, whether it's fertilizer, mulch, uh, doing the work, maybe having to spray for insects, all of those things do add up. And many of those things can be reused or recycled or used later on. But I don't know if it's ever been cheaper to grow your own food rather than purchase certain things. But I'll say that gardening, and I'm not advocating against gardening. You know me. I'm not doing that. But gardening is a pleasure, right? So it is fun, and it's exciting. And definitely, there is one thing about growing your own food is that it tastes different, does it not? Do you not agree that the food you get out of your garden tastes so much better than the food that you're purchasing off of a shelf at some market or grocery store? As a matter of fact, if you just think about how that industry operates, nothing really ripens on the vine anymore. Nothing ripens on the plant anymore. They harvest it while it's still immature, and then they nuke it with uh, plant hormones to cause the ripening of, say, tomatoes. They pick them green. They'll keep them chilled for several months until they're ready to sell and go into market. Then they gas them with ethylene, which is the plant hormone that uh, causes uh, fruits to uh, ripen and mature. And so having fruits, being able to ripen on the plant, grasp as much nutrition, vitamin, and taste and flavor that it possibly can until that moment when you go out in the warmth of the afternoon and pluck the tomato or remove the uh, uh, pepper from the plant. That is a different kind of taste, different kind of flavor. So growing your own food may become even more important as we go forward. Who knows? We don't know the future on uh, the world. But we can say that one reason of going the foodscaping route is for economics. And the second reason 
The second reason to merge ornamental plants with things that taste great is really about real estate. It's about saving space. Now, my grandfather, who I talk about uh, on the program often because he introduced me to gardening through vegetables, uh, you know, he grew up on a farm, as did my grandmothers, and they had very large gardens. We're talking not square footage, we're talking acreage, right? And so now, no, not many people live on large tracts of land anymore. I used to know the, um, I think it was around maybe the average, the average landscape or the average uh, property that people live on is maybe 0.77, don't quote me on that, uh, but it's less than an acre now. So where our, our grandparents, our ancestors lived on plenty of room to have large gardens, now we're reducing the size of our landscapes and we're trying to grow certain things. You know, we want things smaller in our landscapes because the, the space is smaller. But also, we may not have a lot of room to dedicate to a traditional, if you will, a traditional vegetable garden. And so, saving space, real estate, the amount of space you have to grow in. As a matter of fact, I'll just put an anecdote here. But every week at the nursery, uh, where you can find me throughout the week at Lanier Nursery and Gardens and Flowery Branch, Every week, there's always one customer who comes in and says, I couldn't add another plant to my landscape. There is just not enough room. And I'm thinking, well, why did you come to a plant nursery? If you don't have room for a plant, first of all, why did you come to a place where you buy them? But regardless, we always are complaining about not having enough space. And it's mainly because of the route we're going uh, with our civilization. We just have smaller, smaller lots. And so with that in mind, foodscaping is a way to increase the amount of vegetables and fruits you can have. And so on today's program, I am going to attempt to give you many ideas, several ideas. We're going to, th going th to go through specific vegetables, specific fruits, and then I'd like to wrap up today's program about talking about containers because containers are a great way to not only grow flowers and potted plants, right, but also it's a good way to grow certain vegetables and even fruits. And there's some new fruits around on the market that save space just from the size that they are. So we're going to talk all about that today. So again, on today's program, all about foodscaping, and we're going to help merge your ornamental landscape with the nutritious landscape, the functional landscape, the vegetable garden. So more about foodscaping when we get back from this break. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
All right, gang, so so during the break, I was just making a few notes here because I always like to, at least by the end of the program, and we're posting the show up online at NewSouthernGarden.com, I, I like to have a title of some kind, and I really didn't have a title other than Foodscaping today. But I think the title of today's program will probably wind up being Foodscaping, Vegetables at the Front Door. Vegetables at the Front Door. And if you're just joining us for the program, of course, we're talking about integrating, bringing together the ornamental landscape with the vegetable garden, the functional landscape, if you will, uh, a space in the landscape that provides us with some kind of function, particularly nutrition, feeding us, feeding ourselves. And that reminded me of a story that uh, when I was still living at home with my parents, I was probably a teenager of some certain certain year. I can't remember. My birthday was yesterday, and I'm well over 30 now. But anyhow, so when I was a kid, uh, you know, I always talked about my grandfather who helped me grow my first vegetable garden. Well, after that was over, he may have already passed away, but uh, I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to grow another vegetable garden, and I'm thinking about putting it over here in the front yard. And she said, oh, well, sweetheart, um, that's a good idea, but do you think vegetables should be up front? It's not going to look very pretty, is it? And of course, being a pretty optimistic gardener, I said, you just wait, Mama. You're going to love it. And sure enough, once I did what I did out there and the things we grew and how we grew it, she told me later, she said, you know what? It does look nice. It is pretty. It's not as, not as bad, not as bad as I thought it would be, not as unsightly as I thought it would be. So that was a good compliment, I thought. So that's what we're going to do today is talk about merging uh, the vegetables with ornamentals. So let's jump into it and talk about some vegetables. Now, I'm going to talk about specific kinds of vegetables that you may grow. Uh, but if not, maybe you can start growing them because I want to describe the ornamental characteristics or displaying them in an ornamental way. So the very first thing that I thought about when it came to come to vegetables is beans and peas, beans and peas. Now, of course, there are a variety of beans and peas you can grow. There's English peas and snap peas, which, of course, uh, prefer cooler weather. And then we go into the sort of green bean, right? The green bean, which we usually harvest while the bean is still immature. We can can them. We can freeze them. We can put them in soups. We can just steam them and eat them. You can eat them right off the vine fresh. And then, of course, the other beans are like dry beans, right? So, or southern, southern peas even, things we would harvest later in the year. Southern peas come on later. You may have to shell them, the shell peas. Uh, and then, of course, dry beans like limas, October beans. There's plenty of those uh, to add to soups and other things. But regardless, the bean or the pea, they tend to be, they tend to be in two different forms two different shapes you have vines right bean vines and you also have bush beans so as the name suggests <laughs> the beans that grow on a vine they will climb they will crawl they will grab a hold and wrap around a trellis wrap around a a, a pole of some kind and then the bush type beans they still have a certain amount of runners or tendrils to get botanical about it but regardless they tend to stay pretty compact and tight very bushy if you will and so with that in mind you can think about 
particularly with the, the vining type beans, like most green beans, you could plant them instead of in rows in the vegetable garden. You could bring your bean plants and plant them around a trellis, maybe something that's up against a wall. And that bean can spread out and grow across the trellis. And they have very large leaves. Most beans and peas have very large leaves, so they're very coarse textured. And we always talk about texture of plants on this program because it's something that we tend to forget about. But if we had the uh, coarse texture, big leaves of the green bean or Crowder pea or whatever, pick your poison there. But if we have that and we uh, contrast it with a fine texture, maybe something like Achillea or Yarrow, that's the common name. Uh, Yarrow is a great ornamental perennial. And you can put those right in front of the beans to sort of hide uh, the base of the plant. But also that, that Achillea, that Yarrow, will bloom in the spring and summer. And if you deadhead it, it'll keep on going. And so that, just the two combinations of texture and flowers can be quite ornamental, even though what's growing on your trellis is a bean. It's a bean plant. And then, of course, there's arbors, right? Arbors can be a great place. You could have beans planted along your arbor, and as you pass underneath it, guess what hangs down from the trellis, from the arbor? Of course, your beans. They'll be easy to pick, but it can also be a great space under an arbor to have a thick uh, dense bean plant growing for shade, great for shade. And so I think that uh, ornamentally, you can get creative with even just basic bean plants. Now, there is a particular bean that I like to mention to you. It's called the scarlet runner bean. The scarlet runner bean is a great heirloom. There are several different varieties and types that you could choose from. But the scarlet runner bean is, is a good bean to eat. But it also is very ornamental because the blossoms, most beans and peas have a, uh, a sort of a white blossom, maybe an ivory color. But the scarlet runner bean has some shade of red. Some may be pushing the purples. Some may be pushing sort of the pinks. But right there, you've got this interesting flower on your bean plant that can be quite ornamental. So thinking about beans and peas, using them up close to the house, of course we still want to provide them with six to eight hours of sunlight so the sunny side of the house, the southern or western exposed areas are still great areas to add some kind of trellis or maybe a grouping of bush beans because you can have those beautiful pea-like flowers, those bean flowers, and then later on the fruits. Now if you do a dry bean, you can wait until the fruits are uh, dry and, and large and they'll be mature, and usually with certain beans, they may be colorful. The mature form of a bean pod can be very colorful in its own. And so I think beans and peas we shouldn't forget about. We should try to use them. Now, let's move to some of our favorites, of course, summertime favorites, tomatoes and peppers. I'm going to group them together to save some, some time, but tomatoes and peppers don't maybe always look very pretty, right? Of course, peppers tend to be quite bushy, and they stay lower than tomatoes, especially the tomatoes that produce all summer. Those are called indeterminate tomatoes. But this is where choosing a variety is going to come, uh, come very important, because some tomatoes, again, they bloom all summer, they produce fruits all summer, and those are indeterminates. Now, the determinate types are going to usually be smaller plants because they grow to their mature size and then flower and produce fruits all within a short period of time. So even though they don't last all summer, it is a good way 
to fit smaller vegetables into nooks and crannies in your landscape, in your ornamental beds, and not have to deal with those long six, eight-foot vines (laughs) that tomatoes tend to produce. So determinate tomatoes, being shorter, being stouter, not getting so long, uh, are probably going to be prized if they're up close to the front door. But remember, determinate tomatoes are also good for canning. Because when you can tomatoes, you're generally going to do it all at the same time. You want to get a, a pot full of canned tomatoes. Uh, you probably do it on a Saturday after you harvest them. But you do want your tomatoes to come in at the same time in order to can and save them or maybe even freeze them or make salsa out of them and whatnot. And so determinate tomatoes, even though you would have to replant them once they've done their thing, you still can save space and save the tomatoes by having them all at the same time to freeze or to can. Now, peppers. Peppers can be quite ornamental once the uh, the peppers are forming. So most peppers start out green, some maybe sort of shade of green-yellow, but as they ripen, they tend to turn uh, red, yellow, orange, different shades purple. There's plenty of purple bell peppers and other peppers. Uh, and so these colors can be very ornamental, and they can give you a really cool Uh, look. So not just thinking about flowers on plants, but bringing color into the landscape by mature fruits uh, that these plants produce can be a very attractive thing. Well, when we get back, we're going to wrap up vegetables and talk about the leafy things like lettuces and greens. So hang on tight for more ideas on bringing the vegetable garden to your front door. We'll be right back. Greenness unfolding Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about a topic that we never have before. You know, some shows we talk about new plants, sometimes we talk about things in the vegetable garden, and today we're talking about bringing the vegetable garden into your ornamental beds. So of course, like I said uh, earlier, some plants are here to feed our bodies. All of the vegetables, all of the fruits. But some plants are here to feed our souls, right? We look at the beauty around us. We enjoy the flowers and the color of the petals, texture of leaves and foliage. And it brings satisfaction. So foodscaping is all about bringing those two things together. Planting things in the ornamental beds that you can harvest. And the possibilities and combinations of plants is endless. So before the break, we were talking about using tomatoes and peppers in a decorative way. You know, uh, perhaps using uh, bush-type tomatoes and peppers, things that, that they may only produce fruits for a short period of time, 
but that helps to keep the plant smaller. So you may have to replant some tomatoes or replant some peppers if they're determinant. But I think you can creatively use the indeterminates as well. So don't forget to use some of these things that you grow in rows in your vegetable garden mixed in with annual flowers, perennial flowers. That's the whole point of foodscaping anyway. So let's talk about one more group of vegetables that can be very ornamental and tasty too. <laughs> and that is the greens and the lettuces, those kinds of plants, the plants that we, we grow to actually consume and use the leaf. You know, we think about lettuce, we think about broccoli, I'm sorry, not broccoli. We're using the flower when we have broccoli. Collard greens, turnip greens, kale. As a matter of fact, kale is a very ornamental plant. So let's start with that, for instance. In the fall time, you know, when you go out and buy your ornamental cabbages, you may not realize it, but most of those ornamental cabbages are actually ornamental kales. The kales are a great group of plants with so much genetic diversity that some have frilly, uh, really blousy leaves, uh, ruffled leaves, if you will. Some are very smooth, some are very thin, some are uh, dissected or sort of cut away at, like if you were uh, cutting paper into snowflakes, you know, you're trimming away pieces of paper to make that lacy look. And so the kales can be very ornamental. Another great thing about kales is not just the shape of their leaf, but the color of their leaf. Of course, green is your standard basic leaf, and there's plenty of kales that are green, but there's some that push sort of a blue-green. And there's some that push into the reds and purples, and maybe some that pushes into the green and whites. And again, even more that may uh, push into the green and yellows. And some have variegation. So there are beautiful foliage plants that the kales and other things can give you, like lettuce. Of course, lettuce comes in many different forms, right? We can have a head of lettuce, which is sort of that traditional-looking lettuce with a nice large center surrounded by some loose leaves. But then there are also the romaine type, which climb up into the air on more pillar-shaped uh, structures. And then the leaf lettuce. The leaf lettuces are lettuces that are wonderful for fresh salads, and I'll tell you why. Because the leaf lettuce, of course, some, especially the what is it, the mix called mescaline, mescaline, mescaline. I think that's the name, but it's full of different uh, varieties of lettuce that have uh, different colors on their leaves and also different shapes of leaves. But being a leaf lettuce, you don't have to harvest the entire plant. When you're growing heads of lettuce or romaine lettuce or like a butter crunch lettuce, those lettuce always are going to be severed. Uh, the head will be severed from the root. And so you may not have any more lettuce from that plant. But the leaf lettuces are great because you can pick out the tender young leaves and the center of the plant is still allowed to grow and provide you more and more lettuce. So with that in mind, it is a wonderful plant. The greens in general are wonderful plants for ornamental characteristics. As a matter of fact, say you have a group of evergreen shrubs or maybe some flowering perennials. Well, right up front, you may use some of the uh, short, shorter version of, of lettuces that have some kind of beautiful color. Say you use some dark purple lettuce 
and you partner it with something very bright yellow like Coreopsis, which is a great flowering perennial. Uh, maybe the Achilleas, like we talked about before, the Yarrows. There's some beautiful shades of yellow, but purple and yellow together are going to be very impressive. And even though that, that combination of plants looks great, the lettuce is there, of course, to be used in your kitchen. So you can use some of these things together to save space and, of course, feed yourself. So uh, when we vegetables we've talked about today, beans and peas, using them on arbors and trellises and whatnot, peppers and tomatoes, using the bush types, uh, maybe in place of some other annual plants. Of course, you're going to have beautiful peppers and different shades and colors and tomatoes. Of course, there's orange tomatoes. There's red, right? That's the standard. There's white tomatoes, purple tomatoes, yellow tomatoes, some that are pushing blue-purple, so they the fruits themselves are something to think about. And, of course, the lettuces and the greens, the kales, those things are going to be wonderful for texture, uh, foliage texture, as well as color. Now, let's go into fruits. So, fruit trees, fruit bushes, whatnot, I think those are something that we don't need to forget about either. Let's talk about blueberries. One of probably the most ornamental fruit trees or fruit plants that you could grow is a blueberry. And you have to remember what all the blueberry does. In the early part of spring, sometimes late winter, the blueberry blooms. It blooms very early in the year. And of course, this year, some of our blueberries were probably damaged by a late frost, late freeze. But regardless, those flowers are very downward shaping bells bell-shaped flowers that are pearly white pearly white maybe with just a tinge of pink on some varieties and of course they bloom before they even put out leaves before the foliage starts growing and so thinking about this plant it's got you know naked stems if you will and it's just dotted and suspending down these beautiful pearly white blossoms that in itself could be Maybe even more ornamental than forsythia or the yellow bell bush, which blooms at a similar time. The blueberry is this dainty little flower, but there are clusters of them. And so that white flower can stand out and look really good. Then, of course, the foliage comes on. And it's a wonderful shade of blue-green. It's almost an ashy green color. And so you can partner that ashy with some yellow foliage or yellow flowers of some other ornamental plant. And you can also use that uh, gray ashy with purples or maybe surround it by some ornamental grasses uh, to give this really kind of uh, light, fluffy uh, uh, atmosphere, if you will. The light fluffiness of those grass plants against the big, dark, uh, blue-green leaf of the blueberry can be very attractive. And then, of course, you've got the blueberry fruits. And those fruits, being in the blue color, sort of purple-blue, kind of hard to find in horticulture, in plants. And so the fruits themselves in the summer can be quite attractive. But they won't last long because you'll be harvesting them to eat <laughs> or cook with. And then lastly, the last little bit about blueberries is what happens in the fall time. Of course, blueberries drop their leaves. They're deciduous. They don't keep their leaves all year. But before they drop their leaves, they turn, the leaves turn to these wonderful shades of, of orange, red, yellow even, maybe mottled together on the same leaf. And so great plant. Blueberries are a great plant for fall color. And of course, fall color, we look for that in other ornamental plants. We look for it in Father Gilla, 
We look for it in some trees like maples, right? But we can get some great uh, ornamental color, if you will, from the blueberry plant in the fall. And so that plant could be planted. Blueberries could be planted on the corner of a house because they tend to get larger. A little later, we'll talk about some mini uh, dwarf ones, but they tend to get larger. So you could use one as an accent and then maybe a small grouping on the other side of the house to repeat the blueberry and, of course, have more plants to produce blueberries from. Now, let's go into the uh, fruiting trees. So we're talking about pears, apples, peaches, plums. Pears, apples, peaches, plums. Before you start planting fruits or vegetables of any kind, you've got to determine if you have enough space, but also if you have, or if you're going to be growing things that you'll eat. I don't think, unless you just want to play around with the plants and have fun with them, if you've got limited space, you don't want to have a lot of pears if you don't eat many pears. Or if you don't like plums, you know, plums are a great plant to watch grow uh, and can be a fun project. But if you don't eat plums, you may not want to have that space dedicated to something you're not going to use. So the reasons I would use pears apples, peaches, plums, or, or how I would use them would be as ornamental trees because they can be very ornamental. As a matter of fact, you know, back in the old day, we used to use a pear tree quite often in our front landscapes. That was the Bradford pear. Uh, terrible tree, by the way. Don't go out looking for them, and if you see them, uh, chop them to the ground. But pears, apples, peaches, plums, they all bloom early in the season. So you can have an ornamental tree in the front yard, right? Any of these pears, apples, peaches, plums, that's going to be blooming in the spring or late winter, usually. And then, of course, it'll leaf out. It'll have foliage. It'll provide some shade. And then lastly, as the fruits start getting large, as the fruits start maturing, you will have uh, fruits to then consume. And then with many of these, particularly the pears and the apples, uh, somewhat peaches and plums, but uh, sometimes peaches not so much, but definitely pears and apples will tend to give you some beautiful fall color. So think about using a maple tree in the front yard. You get shade and you get fall color, and that's about it. But if you use pears or apples or peaches or plums, you will not only have shade and fall color, but you'll also have fruits to eat from and, of course, flowers in the early part of the year. And so I don't see anything wrong with using these fruit trees as a substitute for maybe other ornamental trees, especially if you want to grow your own fruit and don't have a lot of room for an, a small orchard. So don't forget to use pears, apples, peaches, and plums, particularly as a uh, ornamental tree, because it definitely they definitely are very ornamental. Now let's skip on down to some things we call the brambles. Brambles include blackberries and also raspberries. Now both of these do sort of have long canes. Some people call them vines, but they're more of a cane. And these canes usually need staking or trellising to stay upright. Even though there are some varieties of blackberries in particular that are thornless and upright, they still need to be trained a bit. So instead of just having them in rows in the vegetable garden, why not bring a bramble to a trellis near the house and let those blackberries or those raspberries grow on your trellis? Uh, instead of some ornamental plant, you will be getting a plant that is beautiful with nice whites, maybe some dashes of pink flowers, and of course you'll have 
beautiful fruits that are also very tasty. You may also uh, train your blackberries or your raspberries as espalier. It's a French term for growing flat against something. You could grow these brambles flat up against the wall of a house with some minor support. They could go in different patterns. They could cross each other and make a, a checkered board if you want to. But these canes are malleable and they can move around and they can be quite beautiful. So when we get back, we're going to talk about grapes and muscadines and how to use them in your ornamental landscapes. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Gang, before the break, we were talking about ways to use fruit trees, things like blueberries, pears, apples, peaches, plums. Of course, <laughs> blueberries aren't really a tree. They're more of a large bush, shrub, if you will. And then we talked about using the brambles, using the blackberries and the raspberries directly in your ornamental beds because that's what foodscaping is all about it's all about using food to do your landscaping and i think that there's definitely some uh, plenty of reasons why we should and could could and should uh, do this of course using uh, flowering plants you know pollinator plants if you will beside underneath within your fruit trees and your blueberries and your vegetables will help to attract pollinators to your veggie plants. And the more pollinators that are around, the more fruits, the more the more tomatoes, the more uh, beans, the more lettuce you'll have. Well, not necessarily lettuce. They don't have, <laughs> we don't eat the flower on them or the fruit. But regardless, incorporating flowers and vegetables and fruits together can not only be very functional, but also very tasty too. And um, the last little bit of fruits I'd like to talk about are the grapes and the muscadines. Now, growing up as a kid, I'd spend a lot of summer weekends in particular with my cousin and my aunt at at their house. And they had a neighbor who had this, uh, it's all dilapidated now. They've had to rebuild it. That was quite some time ago. But an arbor, a wooden arbor, and it was covered in muscadine. And of course, muscadine is a native grape it's the american grape if you will the bunch grapes do come from europe and so they're a little more harder to deal with but the muscadine is very easy to grow and and the neighbor was growing these vines over this arbor so as kids of course that arbor covered by vines and leaves was a great place to play hide and seek 
But more so than that, I do remember the nice uh, bronze fruits of the muscadine were just hanging down under the, under the um, vine, uh, the arbor. And so whenever we were playing hide-and-seek, we had a little snack, too. We could just pick those uh, right from uh, the, the plant. And you could do the same in your landscape. Yes, muscadines and grapes, they are vines. They'll need some trimming. They'll need some training to stay in check and not go crazy. But regardless, if you have an arbor or trellis already, that may be a great place to add uh, muscadines into your flower planting areas. And not to mention, like we did before, uh, the shade that they can provide. If it's over an arbor or some kind of pergola, well, you can easily find a uh, refuge from the sun <laughs> while you're out there working in your landscape underneath the muscadines, underneath the grapes, and you will have a delicious treat. Now, let's finish today's show out with talking about growing or foodscaping in containers. Because as the size of our lots shrink down, we have less and less soil to plant in. So we may want to bring plants to the patio area in large containers, small containers, doesn't really matter what it is, a five-gallon bucket from the hardware store. And within these containers, you can have many foodscapes all to yourself. Some of the, uh, let's talk about three vegetables that I love to grow in containers. That's radish, carrots, and leaf lettuce. Radish and carrots, of course, uh, we'll need a good bit of root space because we're harvesting the roots when we talk about radish and carrots. If you like radishes, you can grow them from seed and pull them out of the ground in about 30 days. Radishes are super easy and they are super quick to grow. And of course, I'm not a big fan of radish, but they're great on uh, roasting and they're great on salads so there's many ways that you can use the radish in the kitchen but just knowing that you can have vegetables within or maybe less than 30 days with radish is a great thing to do because you can save some space and you don't have to wait so long for it to be ready same with carrots of course they're they're longer than uh the, rather they take longer than 30 days to harvest but they can their foliage is very fern like and it can be very ornamental in itself. And then, of course, if you let them go to seed, they will have these nice white flowers uh, right on top of the plant on these tall spikes. But carrots need a deep pot. So if you're going to grow carrots in containers on the patio, round the deck, be sure that it's a deep pot. It doesn't have to be very wide, but the deeper, then the longer and straighter and easier to pull out. Being in a container, the carrots will just pop out. The radishes will pop out, no problem. Now, leaf lettuce, what I like to do is grow a salad bowl. So find a dish, a container that is bowl-like, and you can grow your lettuce seed in that bowl keep it on the uh, dining patio table, and you can pull those leaves right out of the salad bowl and put them into your salad bowl on the plate that you'll eat from. And again, we've already talked about the aesthetics, the beauty that lettuce can give with those curly leaves, frilly leaves, and colorful foliage. It's a very nice plant for ornamental, but also a cool conversation piece. If it's sitting on your patio table, tell folks, this is my salad bowl, and I harvest from it just to make a nice salad. Now, fruit trees and, and of course, uh, blueberries and things, they may get too big for a container, and they may never really produce fruits uh, being restricted to a pot, but the Star Rose people have created, or I shouldn't say created, have bred some dwarf blueberries and dwarf blackberries. And 
they call them the Bushel and Berry series. Bushel and Berry, great name. And uh, we carried these for the first time at the nursery. Of course, that's Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. But we carry these, and they do stay maybe a foot tall, two feet tall max. Some of them spill over the edge of a pot, and you could easily add some annuals or perennials with your uh, bushel and berry, dwarf blueberry or blackberry. You could add some color um, for for summer with those beautiful plants that are going to be small and also be loaded. The ones at the nursery are just loaded with berries, and the plant is not going to get big at all, just two feet tall. So dwarf anything or anything that's very low and bushy can work well. Same with tomatoes. There are actually several varieties of patio tomatoes that you may look into. I should have done the research before the show, but it just hit me. Um, Just Google or search for patio tomatoes. You'll find several types that may be cherry tomatoes or uh, plum-style tomatoes. But regardless, the bush-type tomatoes and patio tomatoes are another way to add color to your uh, container garden. And then think about using companion plants. Speaking of tomatoes, they partner well with marigolds. I'm not sure what the research really says, but of course people do say, you know, and just common talk, that marigolds uh, keep bugs away. Well, they are pungent. The, the fragrance of the leaf and the flower is, is off, <laughs> and that may help to keep, and some chemicals in the plant that may help to keep bugs away. But regardless, using some of these plants with your tomatoes or potted peppers or whatnot can be great. Another great container to build is to use a tomato, add a pepper in, and you can add some herbs, whether it's some kind of um, uh Parsley or cilantro, it should be cilantro, to make salsa. Creating a salsa container on the patio. All three ingredients you need, cilantro, tomato, and peppers, can be grown in a container. And then, of course, when those uh, things are ready to harvest, you can blend them up and make a tasty salsa. So I hope today uh, our discussion about foodscaping is helpful to you, especially if you have a small space, but do want to have some vegetables and fruits. Uh, Just want to give you some ideas on merging the ornamental side of gardening with the productive side of gardening. So until next week, my name is Nathan Wilson for WRWH and New Southern Garden. I hope that you stay well and grow well. Take care. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.